Welcome to the Libertarian Tex-Mex Podcast with your host, Caesar Aguirre. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Libertarian Tex-Mex Podcast. I am Cesar Aguirre, back here on another Monday, um, ripping out some podcasts, man. Um, thank you guys for listening, I really appreciate it, um, everybody out there. Um, putting a voice out there for a libertarian perspective from a bit of a different angle, you know, um, you know, primarily the voices of libertarianism here in the Texas area. Um, you know, um, coming across, you know, my experience. You know, uh, you know, lived in a bit in Austin, and uh, obviously grew up in Houston, uh, in the downtown and suburb areas, College Station. Um, you know, you go out and you meet different people who uh, uh, obviously claim they're libertarians as well and have their own perspectives on what that means. So, um, you know, we go out to like there and explore what that means and also understand, you know, libertarianism is something, you know, within the culture of Texans, um, as, as I, you know, as I put it, Tex-Mex is, is definitely a libertarian on the realm of libertarianism, right? You know, a mix of cultures, not government sponsored, right? It's kind of something that happens in the open market. And then now we have this huge explosion of culture in Texas, um, you know, with different, um, you know, different ethnicities coming in, adding their own flavor to it, um, helping to diversify the Houston and Houston area and Texas in general. So it's just kind of, you know, kind of, metamorphosizing into um, something unique and uh, I think it's it's really awesome to watch so anyways um, so um, thank you guys thank you everybody for listening I'm glad you're out there um, we got a bit to talk about this week uh, but still you know a lot of stuff foundation founded in, in libertarian principles you know the two big things that are on my mind, um, and they're both kind of connected. Um, the first one being being a topic that it's a little contentious for libertarians. I'm going to start off with the most contentious one, um, and then we're going to go into the one that's connected. Um, but that is of climate change. So. You know, climate change for libertarians is a little bit of a it's a little bit of a dice game in the sense of you don't know where people are going to land. Um, some people think it's um, you know uh, kind of a a government um, government conspiracy, um, or maybe that it's just uh, over overly stated. Um, some are skeptics about it, um, and others under under others. Um, you know, do believe it. They think the science is real, and that there's something needs to be done with it. Um, and then even with that, you're teased out with: does it need to be solved in the open open market, 
or does it need to be solved by government? Um, and I gotta say, I gotta say, I, I admit, uh, I myself was on the skeptic side. Um, I would say almost ten years ago, you know, um, having looked at some of the, you know, research that was coming out. Not to say it was poorly done, but definitely it was in a, a very early stage of um, of research of a very very loosely connected kind of correlational studies um, that were out there. Um, but then, kind of slowly, this the research has moved to a little bit more of a definitive answer, right? Um, being able to remove random chance that climate change is, is a random effect. Um, being able to kind of give us more accuracy of what the human impact versus what the natural impacts are to climate change. Um, and now, you know, we know, understand kind of the science behind it, you know, that the rise in carbon emissions is directly correlated um, to greenhouse gas effects. Um, and that one's a very big one, right? Like it, there is a, an inextricable link between that. Um, and the greenhouse gas effects obviously affect, you know, our temperatures, our climates, um, water temperatures, weather patterns. Um, it affects everything, right? So now, you know, now the research has gotten a lot stronger in its connections to uh, what I think a lot of people not say it's, it wasn't theoretical, but it was definitely something that had to be proven um, and be sold over to the public. And I myself was in that category. Um, I was a skeptic. And now, now I understand, and I think it is a problem. Um, and it, you know, that it is something that we have to start thinking of in terms of real, realistic solutions. Um, and it's funny because, um, you know, if anybody's out there, they know anybody, uh, friends or family out there, they know I work for an oil and gas company, uh, here in Houston. Um, and one of the, one of the most interesting things is, is that working in the industry of energy and fuel and, uh, all those basic products that we use in society you would think I would be less inclined to admit that there's a climate change issue. But uh, fortunately, um, you know, I work for a company who is a bit on the forefront of understanding that climate change is an issue and that we as a company need to be responsible. We as individuals need to be responsible and, you know, try to uh, be eco-friendly uh, uh, when possible, but also understand the reality of the needs of people. And I think that's one thing that if, if you take somebody who's a little bit more on the extreme end of climate change, you know, you kind of hear them, they want to, uh, you know, ban gasoline and change everybody to electric cars. And, you know, everybody has to go solar and get, a, you know, uh, get rid of coal. Um, maybe they want to use biofuels, you know, let's start doing heavy investment in biofuels and solar panels and you know, grow our own vegetable gardens and all this other stuff, which, you know, I think is more coming from the idealistic side and not the practical side of understanding the needs of people. And I think 
what really kind of turned the page for me was, you know, working with larger companies who understand this reality of saying, hey, first we need to understand that there's a problem, uh, but secondly, we also need to understand that the solutions aren't going to be these extreme solutions, right? The solutions are going to have to make sense for the needs of, you know, billions of people. Um, and, you know, when you look at things like people want to just, you know, throw a bunch of money and, and resources at biofuels or, and things like that, you realize that biofuels, let's say like a corn, you know, a corn fuel or whatever, um, you know, you, we have to look at it in terms of, you know, what, what is, what is the cost? And, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, the population of the, of the world, there's a lot of countries and a lot of places that definitely need those corn crops um, and those bio, you know, those bio products to feed their, their population. So are we, um, you know, are we taking these resources away for something that may be a little bit more important? Um, and a lot of answers, they say yes, in terms of the amount of, you know, bio, production that you need you would have to you know it would take five times the amount of crops to create fuel that you could use like one crop could feed a lot of people right um you know one acre or whatever so the idea that it takes more to make less um is something that a lot of people don't think about uh but also you know in terms of energy needs you know, we have a lot of people that live in, in cold environments. A lot of people live in hot environments. And understanding that, you know, basic uh, fuels, fossil fuels like, you know, gasoline and diesel and, and coal and all that stuff, they're just very easy, easy fuel sources that are available everywhere, right? So for us to cut those off would, you know, put people at risk of, you know, freezing to death or you know being in extreme heat and all that stuff so so you know look so that's kind of the practicalities that we have to look at when we talk about you know where where are the ideas what are some of the what are there some of the solutions that we have and even you know even solar um you know as much as um you know we think solar is a great idea and it is but we also have to think about the resources that it takes. Um, you know, just talking about even just the production of solar panels, the types of minerals, um, the types of metals that we're gonna we're gonna need. Um, that's gonna have to involve you know mining in different countries and um, you know perhaps exploring space for some more minerals um, out there. But the idea is that you know uh, we we can't just pull resources and energy out of thin air there's always there's always a cost and we have to understand those costs so it's very interesting you know working for an uh, energy company and them having to say yes we do have a problem we have a carbon problem that we need to work on uh, but also when it comes to our solutions it needs to make sense it needs to be um, honestly it needs to be diverse right uh, a mixed portfolio of solutions and once I heard that, you know, um, my I, I guess I could say my my mind was at ease, you know, because it's very easily um, just like any any other topic, you know, the topic of climate change can be hijacked very quickly by the extreme ends, right? Either people who think 
you know, that climate change is a conspiracy theory and it's about government wanting to take control of people, or if it's the other way where they just want us to, you know, uh, cut, you know, get rid of gasoline and coal altogether and, you know, everybody has to go solar power and, you know, grow their own vegetables and uh, we have to do this right away and we have to take extreme measures and then they don't think about, you know, the billions of people that rely on that, um, you know, for food, for warmth, for, for coolness, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, people live and depend on these things. So, you know, just pulling, pulling it out, of, pulling the rug from under them is not going to help us um, anymore. So we have to find reasonable solutions, right? Transition periods, um, you know, options, uh, mixing portfolio, right? Like, like you said, like I said before, and even myself as a personal consumer, uh, me and my wife, we actually um, just um, just signed an agreement to put solar panels on our house, um, you know, because, you know, looking at the economics, you know, it looks like, you know, most of our energy needs will be met by the amount of sun we absorb, uh, but that's because our front part of the house has no trees, right? We have a pretty wide you know, 100, 100 feet um, of space that can absorb sun. And, uh, you know, basically we'll, we'll rack up enough energy um, from those solar panels in the spring and fall that it will offset the amount of energy we're going to need in the summertime and, and, uh, and the end of uh, the end of, beginning of fall, um, which it's extremely hot in Houston, if you didn't know. <laughs> Um, when we need air conditioning, right? So, um, so there's some practical sides of that, right? It's, it's like saying, hey, I get we, we need to transition some of our energies, but also we need to be practical about our energy consumption. Um, you know, uh, I'm not going to, you know, sweat my ass off at my house. Um, I'm obviously going to keep it cool, uh, but also not overuse it so maybe I'll keep it warm during the day but cool at night those types of things you know so it's just managing and regulating your own energy um, to become a little bit more responsible and uh, but then you know we have you know we have gasoline cars um, and uh, maybe we'll switch to electric at some point um, some point in the future but obviously the economics have to make sense um, but then on top of that, like I said, you know, a lot of the minerals and metals that are used in uh, electric cars are precious metals are very rare. And uh, that's, you know, that's I think people are going to have to face the fact that that may end up meaning, you know, strip mining in, you know, in other countries um, or strip mining um, the solar system. Right. We do have an asteroid belt that's heavy in minerals, maybe at some point. Um, we have companies that are going to go out there and explore. It may become, it may be financially viable by then. Um, um, you know, and so maybe some people will go out there. Uh, but it's still a cost, it's still a risk that we have to understand. And I think that's really the part, that's really where I'm at, is understanding what are our options, what is the cost, and what are some other solutions that maybe we're not thinking about. You know, the one that really comes to mind for me is carbon capture. Um, it's something that's been talked about a lot in uh, in the energy industry, mostly because it's a direct 
solution to the direct problem, right? Uh, we have carbon emission issues. Carbon is being trapped um, above the clouds, right? Creating greenhouse gas effects. So the direct solution, obviously, is to remove the carbon from the air um, and help us kind of bring down that, that deficit that we have. Um, and there are several companies who have uh, created some carbon capture technology. Um, I think one specifically in Houston, it looks like a giant air filter, right? Like it's, it's a giant, giant filter um, at one of their facilities. But, um, you know, it's capturing carbon, it's absorbing it, putting it back down on the ground, um, letting it sit there for us to create energy for energy with it later on. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, um, you know, where this technology could go by itself. Um, maybe, you know, maybe we have, you know, uh, commercial airplanes or maybe even just airplanes that go up and capture carbon just just to capture car you know energy but you know maybe maybe we can set up these carbon filters on on commercial flights um and when they're going up there in the air they absorb carbon they come down um they offload it and then they go back and they go up in their their new you know route or whatever or maybe we do have planes that are dedicated to carbon capturing or, or whatever it is uh or maybe you have like you know tethered balloons in the air i don't know <laughs> i don't know what it is I don't know what the solutions would be, but I think, um, you know, where I fall is that the market, the open market needs to be the first line of, uh, line of action, meaning we need people out there to think about solutions that will help, help us reduce, um, A, reduce carbon emissions, but also B, give us alternatives that may not emit so much carbon right and those are two sides of the coin i don't think we can have a good viable solution without those two parts it's not just about people ditching gasoline or people everybody going to solar it's gonna have to make sense for what you have in your life um and also there's the financial right um it it costs quite a bit of money to get solar panels on our house um now luckily the amount of money i'm paying in electricity um is going to even out um, the amount i'm paying for these solar panels but um, had they been more expensive it was if it was like five years earlier um you know we wouldn't have been able to do it or and i'll be honest in all honesty if we weren't able to get some uh, tax credits or tax deductions um from the government to get these we may not have gotten them at all right so there's definitely ways to incentivize people to take free market solutions right um and it's something we have to explore and something we have to be open and honest with we have to understand the causes the consequences of our actions on in any way we know what no matter where we choose to uh, where no matter where we choose or where we go um, and understand the costs versus the benefits. Um, so um, something to keep that in mind. When you have your salute, when you're looking out there, try to find something that's more of a free market solution. Um, see if there's any incentives um, um, to get in those areas. 
um, and then you know explore your options for a little bit see what makes sense I mean I know uh, here in the Houston area we recycle um, we do most it's plastic paper metal um, and uh, I believe there's one other thing I'm not I can't glass they do that as well um, so you know recycling helps um, trying to find alternative fuels um, having a mixed blend you know um, you know we have a electric powered um, uh, outdoor equipment instead of you know gas fueled or whatever so you know in all honesty we are you know reducing our carbon footprint that way but we also have to understand that there are also um, other costs right so you know my electric my outdoor equipment mostly made of hard plastics that's still a chemical right still a plastic but um, it will last for a while for a very long time so kind of worth it you know um, and then now that we're getting into solar panels um, you know all the all the energy that I'm using to charge those batteries um, is being um, you know coming from our solar panels versus coming from a grid that's probably carbon uh, carbon based or coal based um, I think that's what I meant before if I didn't say that you know coal coal powered but anyways um, so I think you know looking at that you know I'm a still in the position as a libertarian that I prefer free market solutions you know people offering ideas to the market when it comes to specifically like tax incentives like tax credits or tax deductions um, things like that um, I'm a little bit more um, practical on that um, when it comes to uh, most libertarians who believe um, well actually it's a really in line with what most libertarians believe is you know uh, reducing your your impact reducing your tax liability that you have um, on the you know at the end of the year or whatever just in general is reducing the amount of taxes you're paying um, you know but also some people view tax credits and tax um, tax deductions as like a subsidy so to speak um, so I I kind of I have a mixed view on that one myself I feel like you know if the government is um, not collecting taxes from you and that's what I would call a tax credit or a tax deduction um, to me that's just not paying taxes right versus you know me um, you know me starting a program and the government is giving me money to fund that program um, like physical cash giving me money to do what I want that to me I see as more as a subsidy versus a just not paying taxes um, so I, I'm kind of I'm kind of, you know, teetering on the line here, but I, I will say that I'm a little bit more uh, open to um, solutions on the tax and government side. Uh, I know one uh, conversation that many libertarians have is is the idea of a public-private partnership, um, where the government does um, off, you know, offshore offset um, any um, services. Um, that the government could provide it allows the free market to offer that solution like you know your garbage you know your your garbage company is a private company 
but um, you know they are chosen by your local um, city or county or whatever um, to do the service for them uh, but your you know your monthly fee goes to them uh, the, so the city of Houston doesn't have its own garbage company right um, it essentially contracts out to private companies and so for me I think those are good ideas um, in terms of still being able to to keep services in the free market um, but um, having you know some minimal government involvement um, and I and I think that's kind of where I would say I prefer my second kind of tier of libertarianism is is public private partnerships you know like if we can do this in the free market right if we can do this in the open market with ideas and innovation then let's do it and if it needs tax incentives you know tax credits etc then okay that that's the next tier right okay if you know the market's just not eating it or the market's just not biting or it needs a little bit of incentive a little bit of a push then okay let's let's do a tax credit tax deduction you know get get taxes off their plate and they don't have to worry about it um and then you know if if that doesn't work then okay let's try a public private partnership where uh you know a private company can put something out there in the market with um, the support of the government um and then and then you know that if if something doesn't work there then okay let's let's talk about government and its involvement and let's try to keep it uh minimal um or uh even at a, at a very light ancillary level right can we is there some type of legislation that we can do um is there um you know is there an incentive from a legal standpoint that we can do to um, help the issue and then obviously for me i think the executive order or the presidential level is the last resort um, in my opinion um, you know because really you know our government is designed as a voting block from our representatives and not as a unilateral decision from the president um, you know there is checks and balances you know there's um, the Senate, the Congress, and the President that all have to agree on one thing. Um, but for sure, you know, it is heavily based on representatives voting for our concerns and the President um, certifying that by signing the bill. But I think really, you know, our country is primarily leaned on democracy or uh, what we call representative democracy um, that they are held, hold most of the power. And then you also have the courts and the executive branch, um, the judicial and the executive branch, uh, putting that in check and making sure that we're all uh, working along with each other, that it doesn't go too far off the deep end. Um, and then I think you have a good system. But for me, I think those are last resorts, you know, as a libertarian. Um, and I say that, you know, as a somebody who's become a little bit more practical of a libertarian lately in the last few years is to say okay you know we do we we do understand that you know um for a libertarian you know limited government doesn't mean uh no government at all it means government in a limited fashion right so um so we can't be averse to government in general we're not anarcho although some people are 
but I myself am not. I'm definitely in the limited government side, uh, but we do understand that there needs to be government to uh, protect those um, individual rights and to protect the open market to make sure that um, it functions health, you know, um, positively. And um, and then what that level means, how that inter, how that in, in gets involved, can be a little bit more nuanced in that. But for me, I think personally, I prefer, um, you know, what I've said before is I, I kind of have a libertarian structural method of of solutions, right? Like, can it be solved in the free market? Can the market be incentivized? Can there be public-private partnerships? Can there be a legislation? Um, local, state, or federal. Okay, if not, then can the president do something about it? Executive order. So for me, the, the executive order of the president is probably the very last resort that you'd want to do. Um, and then right above that is, you know, using an executive branch, um, you know, like the EPA or the Department of Education. And then on top of that should be legislation um, and the courts. Um, and then on top of that um, should be public-private partnerships. On top of that, tax incentives or tax credits. And then on top of that, the ultimate where we want to be for the most part is in the free market, innovation and finding solutions um, that are going to work for people. So anyways, so when it comes to, um, when it comes to cl climate change, I think it's definitely a topic that libertarians can avoid um, anymore. I think it's becoming much more apparent and much more obvious that climate change is a, a problem that we're all going to have to face. And the cost of these, of ignoring them, is going to become greater and greater every time, every, every year, right? And we do see a lot of scientists becoming the alarmists, thinking the world's going to come to an end, you know, um, that if we don't do something now, it's going to be very... Uh, irreversible all that stuff and and not to discredit it but it's definitely a lot of shouting i would say a lot of panic a lot of um trying to light the fire under our our rear ends but i think once we understand that that this is a problem and we need to start thinking about this then i think we need to kind of dial down the alarmism and say okay we we get it we need to start thinking about at proactive solutions how can we reduce carbon how can we um how can we get rid of carbon and how can we not make more carbon right and then from there that's when we start building um our technology and start building our infrastructure that way um, and i think that's going to be the solution really going forward the one that that ties in to the other topic i'm going to talk about is you know the solution that a lot of people have a lot of um kind of bureaucratic solution is obviously the carbon tax um, is charging people for um, emitting carbon tax, uh, carbon into the air. And obviously there's so many different ways that a lot of people are doing that. Um, and we'll kind of get into that, into the next topic after that. But um, I think tax taxing may not be a good viable solution. And uh, we're gonna, but we're gonna go into it and we're gonna understand why. And maybe the nuances of of how maybe a carbon tax more as a um, 
as a way to move people away from one behavior to another may be a good idea, maybe good in theory, but when it comes to the practicality of it, it kind of falls on its face. And why we need to focus more on proactive and positive solutions that help this, you know, are a little bit more direct in solving the solution. So anyways, so for sure, I think the, you know, um, a lot of people, a lot of people in the political conversation focus very much on the people who are still denying that there's a, um, a problem. Um, I think they're calling them like climate change deniers or something like that, which is, you know, um, which is calling it for what it is. But honestly, I think, you know, we really need to move on. I think we have enough consensus in people in the markets and governments that we need to just start thinking about the solutions and start moving as if we're going to solve this problem. You know, you're not going to get, you're not, you're never going to get a hundred percent consensus, right? If we waited till everybody was convinced um, that there was a problem, we would be waiting, you know, the, the world would be on fire before we would start moving into that direction. And something I've learned even in, in business, you know, and, and, uh, um, a, a a uh, a method of problem solving that you know many people may out may may understand um, in a, you know lean problem solving or, or continuous improvement CI is what they call it in business. But there's a great book out there um, called "Our Iceberg Is Melting," um, and it's about penguins um, realizing that their iceberg is melting. But it's a great story um that really tells us almost even in this you know uh thinking about climate change it almost fits the the fits it perfectly right you're always going to have people who um jump on the bandwagon early most people are going to hit a kind of a a consensus later on and then you're going to always going to have people who will deny it till the day they die and I think if you're going to harp on those people, you're not, never going to move forward. You're never going to get that groundswell that you need. And it's it's actually a, a strategy and a tactic they tell us is say, you know, understand, identify those people who are early adopters, recruit them right away, get that going. And then what you have to do is get those people on your team, help them with you. And then you convince the middle, the people that are kind of a yes I could be a yes, depending if you, you know, if you present it to me right. Um, and then the people who are saying no, and I will never be a no, you don't focus on them, right? You already have enough consensus if you get the early adopters and you convince the middle people, the kind of like, I could be a yes. You get those people, you have a majority, and then you move on, right? You move forward. Um and those people who may be kind of the haters, so to speak, that are always going to tell you no, or this is not working, or this isn't right, you move forward. And you maybe you do listen to, um, you do listen to them. You don't have to take their their advice or take their opinion, but you can listen to them and say, I understand where you're coming from. Um, we're still going to move forward, uh, but thank you for your feedback, that type of thing, right? Totally possible. So, um, so I think when it comes to climate change, a lot of people you know, um, early adopters and people who are finally coming on and, and libertarians, right? Libertarians, I think us, I, I don't think I'm, I want to be in that circular conversation of 
how can I convince other libertarians or other uh, skeptics or deniers that climate change is real, right? Um, I'm going to have to move forward. I'm going to have to start looking at solutions. Um, you know, how viable is solar panels? How viable is carbon capture? How viable is going electric? You know, understanding the pros and cons, um, the risks, right, and the cost. Um, what is a potential future investment into energy, you know, going out and exploring space. There's a lot of stuff that we could explore in space that's incredible, right? But there's a lot of technology that's going to go hand in hand with with the current way in which we explore for energy, right? Oil and gas, um, the technology they invent for drilling is totally going to be necessary when we go out and explore in space, right? We're, we're going to go out and, and find energy, right? Hell, if we needed this, the energy of the sun, right, we'd have to be able to capture it. Um, and that, that technology is not going to be done by environmentalists, right? They're not going to be the ones that are going to show you how to develop this technology. Guess who's it going to be? It's going to be those engineers, right? Those oil and gas engineers that know how to extract solid, liquid, and gas. Um, they have great technologies that efficiently um, absorb all that, you know, without losing a drop and then you're going to have to take that technology and fly it out into space um, and that to me i think um, is going to get us to that next level you know um, and there's a lot of stuff out there um, you know and thinking about minerals or the thing i said before think about precious metals and minerals a lot of it out there there's a lot of gases out there um, there's a lot of radiation from suns, right, from our sun. Um, so there's a lot of mixed types of energy that are out there that we need to develop the technology here first before we can go out there um, and use it out there. So I think there's still a lot of room for growth in terms of um, energy uh, and technology. And we are, I think, on the cusp of discovering what those are. And as soon as we invent them, as soon as we put them out in the market, they become better, they become more efficient, they become smaller, they become easier, more portable, everything like that. And once that happens, then we're going to be able to put it on a spaceship or whatever, a teleportation system, right? Then we're going to be able to take it out, out there and explore space. Um, and that's ultimately going to be, you know, hopefully at some point we'll be, you know, not humans or Terrans out there. You know where our original home was earth but we're out there you know finding new new places that would be incredible so anyways so when it comes to climate change i think this is a definitely a a world problem that we're going to have to solve i think as libertarians we shouldn't fear uh climate change or pretend we have to uh, pretend like it didn't it's not happening because we believe in the free market the free market and climate change are gonna have to work together right like you know the issue of solving climate change is not going to be resolved by government mandate only, right? We're going to need the free market. We're going to need solutions. We're going to need options. Um, we're going to need something that makes sense for the people. And, you know, even the people of the United States versus the people of China versus the people of India versus the people of Russia, they're going to have different environments, different needs, different solutions. And I think the open market is the only thing that's going to be able to tailor those solutions to each individual market to each individual person and understanding what fits best for them and uh i think uh 
I think the more that we move in that direction, I think climate change will be solved and we'll be able to find the right things that we need to do. So you're asking, what, what brought this up? What was the reason we're talking about climate change today? Well, I was reading an article from the local news and they were talking about um, the wildfires in California and um, well it looks like uh, I'm just gonna read this out from the news article according to the national climate assessment issued by 13 federal agencies climate change is responsible for half of the forest land burned in western states since the mid 80s and without cutback on fossil fuels longer fire seasons will be part of a devastating hit to the American economy fire fire season could last all year long so you know looking at it from the scientific perspective you know it looks like climate change is causing forest fire forest fires which obviously cost you know um, both the state federal and individuals um, you know billions of dollars and the loss of life so we are seeing the current effects of carbon emissions impacting us um, and our lives and so I think the sooner we understand how the free market how the open market can develop innovative solutions um, can help us find those solutions and not we we have to kind of stop seeing the open market and individual innovation not as an enemy um, of of change but we have to see it as a friend and if we need you know government involved if we need government influence then let's let's figure out a way to maintain the maximum amount of individual liberty that we can uh, because it's definitely something that we're all going to have to solve together um, whether we like it or not government has to be involved whether uh, if we can work it to be in a limited fashion um, or one that helps move it in the right direction um, then I think we need to kind of be open to that and see um, and see where it goes now the other thing that ties into this that is more of the recent event uh, but it makes more sense for me to talk about that um, and understanding that you know really the open market um, and the free exchange of ideas and innovation is really going to be where we're going to find the answer to climate change um, the other side of this is what a lot of people um, are viewing as like punishment for uh, government punishment or state punishment for carbon emissions things like carbon tax and it is very important to understand that these types of negative uh, punishments so to speak or um, negative reinforcements to using carbon or to emitting carbon have a tendency to fire back um, and they have unintended consequences is because we see that being played out right now in France, right? Um, the yellow vest uh, protest or the yellow vest movement um, is what it's called um, has been going on in France for you know uh, for quite a quite a long time now, um, you know, and maybe some of it is just people wanting to riot and protest, um, but we do have to understand that behavior from 
an upset, angsty um, viewpoint. Uh, maybe it's not something we do. Uh, maybe we understand the damage, but we also have to understand the voices of those people that um, also do writing. And, you know, um, <clears throat> it reminds me of uh, Martin Luther King Jr., who obviously was a big advocate of nonviolent protest, which I am as well. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, when he was asked to criticize, you know, the violent protest of the of the civil rights movement, um, you know, he, he basically told, you know, people to not judge those people who were using violent protest, even though he disagreed with them. But he said something very interesting, which kind of has been quoted quite a bit, but he said, riot is the language of the unheard. Um, and I think that's, it's very true. You know, if you think about, you know, you know, uh, minorities or uh, people in, in low income or who, people whose voices aren't heard in the government uh, aspect or in the communities, um, you know, they're going to feel a sense of frustration. They're going to feel a sense of nobody's listening to me. So if nobody's listening to me, I'm going to act out. Um, and, and we see that, right? We see that in France. And now it's hitting this groundswell. But we know that in individual humans, right? We know that with children. We know that with adults. We know that if we don't listen to people, if we don't hear them out, uh, we are going to face the consequences of not hearing them out, right? Frustration, anger, um, violence, right? Um, those things happen when we don't listen. And I think France, unfortunately, uh, the government of France um, is realizing this now, that they were not listening. Um and kind of moving in a bureaucratic way, very much in Europe, European, EU style, where they're not listening, exactly listening to the people. Um, they're not understanding the, the, the pain points, and they're just moving along with a very bureaucratic system. So, you know, one of the, one of the reasons this whole thing has come about was because, you know, the government of France was about to vote in an increase in fuel tax um, or in fuel costs. Um, and most of it is a fuel tax um, that is related to carbon taxing um, to reduce, uh, to discourage people from using gasoline um, and get people to move into a, you know, um, either getting rid of their vehicles or using, um, you know, friendlier energies like, you know, electric cars and all that stuff. But I think what was what is funny is that, you know, what that government didn't realize from a high level, they're thinking, oh, OK, let's let's move to let's move and do our part to reduce carbon emissions. We're going to do that by punishing people who use, car, uh, you know, carbon emitting energies like gasoline by raising the cost and discouraging them from doing it. But what I think from that top level um decision without understanding the impacts at the lower level is understanding that people are already um, paying a heavy fee for energy they need to get around to go to work or to go to school or to visit their family you know in another city or, or whatever it is um, you know they're already paying a high fee for gasoline as is um, and they're already paying taxes on gasoline as is. And now you want to raise the gas, uh, the cost of gasoline um, to give us a carbon tax, to give the, the, the people of France a carbon tax, to punish them for doing something they have to do. 
it it didn't make sense and i think you know looking at the protest um it really makes sense that finally the 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 french people had enough you know and i think if you look at their system in totality um they do you know obviously they are leaning in a more socialist style system of you know health care and you know uh, minimum wages and subsidies and everything like that um and so that becomes a stifling system in and of itself um but then you start raising taxes in an already high taxed society um you can only do so much right you can only you can only push the people so far before they have enough and i think this is exactly what's happening right now with the um yellow vest protest um and and i think they're in their i think they're in their um total total right individual right to say that right and uh luckily the 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 government has heard and they're going to not increase taxes um and they're going to figure out another way to reduce carbon emissions um uh, but it goes back again it goes back to what we were talking about is you know are we looking at avenues of viable positive proactive solutions that are not punishing people in the market for making decisions that sometimes they don't have any choices for right sometimes gasoline is just easily available and it's an easy fuel source sometimes coal you know sometimes coal is an available energy source and it's you know has a lot of extracts a lot of energy and it's just readily available so how are you going to compete um in the open market with other solutions that's really where we need to start looking at and start putting more focus as individuals um and as people and i think when we look at um you know well even in human behavior right even in just basic psychology negative reinforcement right nagging someone or um making it so uncomfortable uh for somebody when they're doing something that they have to stop to you know get rid of that um you know stimulus that they they don't like um you tend to have avoidance right you, or you just don't want to you don't want to deal with that person again or in, on the punishment side right if you're punishing people for doing something you don't want them to do um you're going to have defiance right people are, are going to rebel so you have to walk a, th- a thin line between punishment and positive reinforcement you really need to positively reinforce the behaviors that you want you know so when it comes to you know like the solar panel solar panels that we are getting we're getting a tax you know tax deduction that to me is a positive reinforcement you know like okay you're incentivizing us to do the beha- a behavior that is good that should really be the focus right incentivize people to do the right action um and then the market moves in that direction so i think there's still room for us to find open solutions and that's really what france needs right you don't need to tax you don't need to tax the people of france and punish them for doing something they have no choice in doing um and then you know the biggest one of the bigger arguments is how it affects people of low low to middle income disproportionately than people of high income and that's very true right when it comes to taxes um taxes hurt you know you know the low to middle income more than it does the rich or the high income 
And this is no way saying that you should tax the rich outrageously, you know, out of their minds or whatever. Uh, but it's just the idea that if you're going to increase taxes, especially consumer taxes, you have to really think about how you're going to impact the bottom line for those people who are working low to middle income. They're barely getting by. Um, they're, barely get, they're barely getting their bills paid. And you want to increase a carbon tax. Uh, that, that's just, it doesn't make sense. And it wasn't thought through. Um, and the French people have every right to protest. Um, and now, you know, it's kind of building up, it's, it's swelling up its momentum. Now it's, now it's not just about this, um, you know, this increase in fuel tax and carbon tax and, um, you know, this disproportionate impact it has on, you know, low to middle income and, you know, all the tax incentives that the, the, the high, the high income and, and the rich in France are getting versus how much the middle to low income are paying in taxes you know you're looking at you're looking at a system of government that's being manipulated to favor those people with money or those or people with businesses versus the consumer um, that is in a low to middle income and that's not the goal of any democratic society or it shouldn't be right but you know i think the French people need to sort this out. You know, the French people really need are, are and are waking up to this overblown government um, that's been kind of trampling on their own society um, and changing it to something that um, is different from what it has been. You know, the French, the French have a great history in the French Revolution um, and. You know, bringing democracy back into Western civilization when it almost disappeared from uh, the Greeks and the Romans. You know, most of Europe was a, a monarchy of kings and queens and aristocracy. And, you know, the French, you know, were one of the first um, in Western civilization um, after, obviously, the Romans and, and the Greeks who disappeared uh, for a while. But uh, they were the first people to bring back, you know, kind of the power to the people, so to speak. And they did a revolution for it, right? Um, they fought for their right to, to freedom. Um, what we call nowadays is classical liberalism or the foundation of libertarianism, where the individual has more rights than the government. Um, and that the individual is supreme to the government government serves the people and that's something that was almost lost um, and we owe a big debt to France um, they were obviously the the inspiration for the American Revolution and that lit a fire under everybody else so I think you know we have a good um, history and a good I don't want to say obligation but I think if you understand your history of, of liberty of, of freedom of classical liberalism which most of us are that believe in freedom. Um, we understand that we owe a big debt to the French people for um, starting this all, right? Starting the whole whole bit for Western civilization, return to democracy and individual rights. And uh, I think we should um, throw our support and understand that. If you look at other countries like, um, you know, like Germany, um, you know, Germany, Austria, anybody who's in the European Union, you you are not getting 
this type of revolution or revolt um, from their people. Um, and they have heavy taxes, you know, heavy government, um, all these things that could, on, in, in all honesty, blow up in their face. So I got to give kudos to the French people for stepping up and saying something before this got out of hand. You know, the French do have a, a, a good economy. They are a very productive uh, country. I think their economy is actually equivalent to the state of Texas, which is not a negative. That's actually saying really good. Texas is highly productive, um, and it's about the same size. Uh, so anyways, so I think um, the, the French people really need to <clears throat> keep it going and really put their uh, opinions out there and say, we've had enough. We've tried this extreme end of socialism, of heavy bureaucracy, um, and it's brought nothing but, you know, poverty, low incomes, higher taxes. It really benefits the rich more than it does the poor. And we need to come back to our roots of liberalism, right? And reduce the amount of government that we have in our lives and open up individual liberty, open up economic liberty back to where we had it before. And let's like unleash the productivity of of the French people so anyways so those are the two topics I wanted to cover climate change um, and then the yellow vest uh, protests that are coming out right now I think honestly these are the more important topics I know there's right now President Trump is being called into question with his relationships with with Russia um, you know this was another topic that we had talked about with a group of friends this weekend I'm not sure if it's gonna go anywhere I think you know, we were looking at, you know, the, uh, you know, Bill Clinton impeachment, which was voted on um, by the representatives of, I believe, one house, uh, by, I believe the Senate. But then when I went to the Congress, uh, basically, they said no, right? They vetoed, they, they said, no, it's, it's, we're not going to do this type of thing. Um, so, you know, kind of the lesson was, you know, yes president lied but is it an impeachable offense not really um, and I think this is really what's going to come out here for Trump it's saying yes he lied about his he lied about his relationships um, with Russia um, before but it's not something we can impeach him for but I think when it comes to the election time it's something you can definitely zero in on as a opponent and say you know he is known a known liar, known relationships with Russia, um, his, you know, his loyalties are called into question type of thing. To me, I think this would be more fuel for the fire to fight against Trump uh, on the next election. And then also you have, um, you know, the, uh, a lot of people are claiming there's a looming recession coming forward. I think most libertarians have kind of seen this happen, kind of slow train happening. We've been expecting uh, a slow in the economy for a couple years now. Um, you can see the Federal Reserve is a little bit worried, so they're raising interest rates to keep inflation from happening. Trump, President Trump obviously being upset because he was hoping to keep interest rates low so people can boost the economy, so to speak, so it looks good on, on him that he's quote-unquote greatest economy in history, even though it has nothing to do with him. 
But if it crashes, he will also be blamed for it. And now he's going to have to explain why it's not his fault. You know, but I think if anybody uh, knows anything about economy, you understand the recession and the slowdown of the economy. There's already signs. There's already signs out there. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful about um, um, spending both personal um, and government um, because those things can come out of hand uh, and they can eat eat our lunch um, big time when we have a recession. So we just got to make sure we manage those properly and we definitely have to call to our government officials to balance the budget, control those deficits um, because it is going to eat our lunch um, both in the consumer market where products are <clears throat> are 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 more expensive it costs more money to buy them uh but also in government debts that we are going to have to keep paying off um our future um children and their children's children are going to have to pay off these massive debts that we're consuming um and no amount of economy is going to help make up for that right those debts have to be paid off and we have to understand how to budget ourselves uh, how to budget our economy, uh, how to budget our government, I'm sorry, um, and hold them accountable to that. Because I unfortunately think we have a, a president who sold a lot of voters on a false, uh, on, a, on a lie. Um, he's not controlling the budget. He is not reducing the amount of uh, regulations. He is not reducing the amount of government that's in our lives. He's, in fact, increased it tenfold. And we... Uh, libertarians who believe in economic personal liberty have to start viewing this as um, a very dangerous situation that we need to monitor and be aware of um, before it gets out of hand. So anyway, so I'm going to finish off today, but I just wanted to say thank you all for listening. Um, We are rolling into Christmas time, but I am still going to be doing my podcast um, I've got a lot of good feedback on it. Um, I know I actually have some colleagues of mine who have are trying to convince me to do a type of teleconferencing video conversation that I could record and put on YouTube, but also put onto the podcast. So I may kind of experiment with that here pretty soon, um, and we'll see where it goes from there. But anyways, thank you all for listening, and I will hear from you soon. Bye.